Welcome to This Wayfaring Life, where we celebrate coming fully alive to the adventure of following Jesus. I'm your host, Dawn Jackson. Each week, we lean into stories and conversations of faith and hope seasoned with just enough grit to give you traction. I'm glad you're here. Hey, friends, welcome to this episode of This Wayfaring Life. I am so glad to be here with you today. Hey, so you you maybe noticed last week that I did not drop an episode, and my commitment is every Tuesday at 6 a.m., but what happened was, well, I came down with COVID, and it knocked me silly when it came to um, fatigue. Like, I slept more last week than I think I had slept the previous month, and um, and I didn't have any episodes pre-recorded, and I was in no frame of mind to be recording uh, last Monday or Tuesday uh, to get it out. So anyway, a lesson learned in that always to make sure that I've got plenty recorded in advance so that when life happens, uh, the, the podcast goes on. Now, here's what's sort of crazy too. It's like, I didn't realize I had COVID. It took a couple of days until I didn't even think to test. I don't know where my brain was. Um, I'd never had it before. And uh, anyway, I, I, so I slept 11 hours Sunday and I wake up Monday morning on Labor Day and I'm actually feeling better. And I had plans that day to hike Mount Baldy with one of my friends because we had a mutual friend who was doing the race called Run to the Top. And it's where you run from Manker Flats, which is down below the summit of Mount Baldy and you run up literally 4,000 feet of climb uh, to the summit. And the finish line is at the summit at the top of the mountain. And so our friend was running the race. And so I had told her, hey, if you'd like me to, I'll take up some gear for you. Because, you know, after you finish a race, sometimes you get cold really quickly. And it can be it can be windy at the top of Mount Baldy. And it's always nice to have your own protein drink, all of that. So she had dropped her stuff off. I had it with me. So I get up Monday, and um, I think I'm feeling better. Literally, I, like I ride in, in the same car with my friend. It's, I felt horrible afterwards in that I totally, um, I would have been totally contagious. And so I totally exposed her to COVID. Thank God she didn't get sick. Um, and so we drive up there together. We start to hike, and I get one quarter of a mile up. And I just look at her, and I'm like, I can't do this. I, I, I can't do this. And so I give all this stuff to her and she took it up to the top of the mountain for our friend. And I went and waited at the lodge. And so it was when I came home that I tested. And uh, and so I just like laugh at myself thinking, what were you even thinking uh, trying to hike Mount Baldy in here? Look how sick (laughs) you actually were. Um, But hey, that race, Run to the Top, that is the shout out for this week because Uh, That race is amazing. I did it years ago. It is so incredibly hard. It is so hard. I didn't do it well, but I did do it. And if you are somebody who likes to like race, if you've gotten into running, particularly trail running, if you've never looked at run to the top, I really just encourage you take a look at that. It's, um, I think it's about seven and a half miles total, something like that. Cause you, it's just a race up. You don't race coming back down. And, um, of course, Mount Baldy tops out at over 10,000 feet in elevation. So your lungs feel it. And uh, it's just a crazy, crazy race. So I'm going to put the link to that in the show notes. And even if you're not into racing, it's fun just to hike up into the area and see the people going by. Um, I got to be real with you, man, because they, they are sucking wind. They are hurting. But um, there's some mighty ones at the beginning. And that's like, how do they do this so quickly? Anyway, that's the shout out this week. Run to the top race, Mount Baldy. 
check that out. Now, others of you might be like, hey, I'd love to do Mount Baldy sometime, but maybe not race it. Well, you're going to want to stay uh, connected to everything I'm talking about in the podcast as well as my business, This Wayfaring Life, um, because I'm going to be putting some different things together that you'll see soon to just really support uh, to support you in getting out, getting, um, like if you've never, if you're into the hiking thing, or maybe you want to break into the hiking world, how do you do that? As well as combining hikes with spiritual formation. And so super excited about that. That is still to come. So stay tuned. Well, in this podcast, we, I've been uh, spending the first few weeks just really setting like, hey, what's the foundation? What does it even mean to be a wayfarer? We've been looking at it from various angles. And uh, so remember, we started off with St. Brendan. And, and if a podcast could have a patron saint, he would be our patron saint. In fact, I'm just claiming him for that. Like the patron saint of travel and adventure. Have I the faith to leave old ways and break fresh ground with God? That's how we started it out. That's really part of just the heartbeat behind all of this is um, breaking that fresh ground with God and being um, willing and courageous enough to step out by faith. Um, from there, we, we also learned about getting comfortable with being uncomfortable. We checked out lawn chair Larry, who could not just sit around. And while his decision on how that played out in his life is not what we want to emulate, we would love to have that same spirit, a spirit like Abram or Abraham, if you will, in the Bible, who went to a land that the Lord would show him. He just simply kept following the Lord wherever God would lead him until he brought him into the promised land. And then in the last episode, we um, did a deep dive onto a hero in the Bible, a heroine, if you will, a female hero who was incredibly courageous in her decisions, and her name was Ruth. So that's sort of where we're at just in painting this in this first season, this season of Call to Risky Living. And we're going to keep going here today, and um, and we're diving really into story time. And there's always going to be a lot of stories on this uh, podcast, always, because I love stories. I think we learn really, we learn so much from stories, whether they're personal stories or stories that we read. Um, we We just get moved by stories. I mean, do you remember story time in elementary school? It was like my, I would say it was my second favorite time of the day because my first favorite, my first favorite, (laughs) my favorite was actually recess. I mean, right? There's nothing like a good uh, game of tetherball out on the playground that's just like, ah, that was just amazing. But it was in fourth grade that my teacher read to us The Lion, The Witch, and The Wardrobe by C.S. Lewis, and I loved that book. It was one of my all-time favorite children's books, and even though I was nine, I knew it was simply a story. I did go home, and I went into my closet. I did not have a wardrobe, as they had in the book, but I did have a closet, and I went in my closet, and I remember putting my hand in the back of the closet, just checking to see, man, wouldn't it be amazing if I could find like some secret entrance in the back of my closet that would take me into Narnia. I wanted to go to Narnia. You know, friends, stories capture our imagination. Stories teach us life lessons. Stories, we remember stories. And then from that, we remember principles and stories are are so, they're just so, so powerful. And so today I want to just share with you a little bit more of like a personal story on how God, on how God called me to a deeper, more intimate walk with him. And and in telling this story, I want to challenge you to see if maybe it sparks in you a memory of an experience where Jesus was calling you or wooing your heart. Like, when did you actually first hear him calling your name? 
I believe that if we look back over our lives, we often recognize when God was beginning to whisper into our hearts, maybe even before we fully recognized his voice, or maybe even before we even believed in his existence. You know, many people experience this in childhood when I just think when childhood were far more open to the wooing of our hearts before the cares of the world begin to really distract us. And things like that, times like that can be an early preparation before a more formal calling uh, that comes to our hearts later on. So, you know, I was, um, now this isn't when I was a child. This is when I was a younger adult and I just bought my brand, I just bought a house. It was not a brand new house. It was a 1912 California bungalow. It was very small. It was old, old town San Dimas and it was an El Nino year. We had a lot of rain that year. And I, I had barely had money to get into this house. And so I did not have money for a gardener. And I'm in my backyard and I'm mowing the grass, if you could even call it grass. It was probably just weeds, well watered by El Nino. And it was thick and it was hard. And as I was mowing, I was remember, remembering being a kid and working in the yard with my grandfather. And my grandfather had passed many years before now, but I was remembering being a kid when he was alive and I would, I would help him in his yard. And in my heart, I was just like, wow, I wish he was still here so he could now come help me in my yard. And just as I thought about that, I sensed the, I sensed the Lord speak into my heart. And this is what he said. He said, Don, the relationship you had with your grandpa is the relationship I want to have with you. And as I struggled to comprehend, like, well, what, wait, what does that even mean? I began thinking about the uh, passage I'd been reading in John chapter five that week. It just flooded my mind. And there's John five verses 17 and 20 say this. It says, Jesus said to them, my father is always at his work to this very day. And I too am working. Then it says, Jesus gave them this answer. I tell you the truth. The son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. So Jesus only did what he saw his father was doing. In fact, Jesus was his father's shadow and he simply joined him in whatever work he was doing. And so as I mowed the grass that day and thought about that passage, the Lord began to use that scripture and the memories of the relationship I had with my grandpa to invite me into a deeper walk with him. And that, even though this was from, I don't know, probably almost 20 years ago now, this story still deeply resonates with me. Because when I was growing up as a child, I was my grandpa's little shadow. Like wherever he went, I followed. Um, he was this incredible storyteller. And he always had like this playful twinkle in his eye. And I would sit mesmerized as he recounted stories from his childhood and his days as a gunner in a B-24 bomber in World War II. Now, always, he always kept his stories appropriate about the war, but he would tell us these stories and we would just be like, wow. In fact, on one of their bombing raids, their plane was shot up so badly, they were forced to make an emergency, an emergency landing in the Pacific Ocean. Now, most water landings of this type do not do well because usually the plane hits the water and just breaks into pieces. But my grandpa said that they had a superb pilot. And when the, when the plane hit the water, it stayed intact. And immediately, all of the men were up to their neck in water because it got flooded right, right away. And so the guys, every single one of them got out alive and into a life raft. But when they got into the life raft, of course, the plane sunk and they didn't know where they were. They're in the middle of the Pacific. 
and sharks started coming for him. And he would tell us this story about how he'd see the dorsal fins coming towards the raft and they would get their oars ready. And then the shark, when it got to the raft, would flip over and literally rub its belly underneath the raft. They could feel the shark underneath them. And so they would use their oars to fight the sharks off. And they, and they were out there all night long in the sea. When the sun came up in the morning, they saw a ship in the distance and they didn't know if it was an enemy ship or if it was a U.S. ship. So they just sent up a flare and thank God it was a, it was a U.S. ship who came and rescued them. And my gosh, he would tell that story. And I, in my eyes, my grandfather was larger than life. He was my hero. Now I grew up with my grandparents living nearby and I spent a significant amount of time at their house. So when my grandpa would come home from work, I'd meet him with a big hug in their laundry room and I'd beg him to grandpa, grandpa, let me dance on your feet. And so he would laugh and he'd say, Hey, you know, just give me a moment. He'd have to put his lunch pail down, go greet my grandma. Then he would take each one of my little hands in each of his large hands. And then I placed each one of my little feet on top of his big feet. And around the kitchen, we would go, my little feet moving with each of his, my little legs stretched out with, e- with each of his. I loved it. I loved it. And at dinner time, I sat right next to him. And sometimes even I was given the honor of sitting in his chair. And that was a big deal. If he needed to run an errand, I followed him out the door, sitting right by his side in his 1972 Ford pickup truck. And as we would drive through the neighborhood, he'd make eye contact with people he didn't even know walking on the sidewalk. He'd nod his head and he'd say hello. And oftentimes his truck window was even closed. So the people couldn't even hear him saying hi. I would be baffled and ask him, Grandpa, why would you say hi to people you don't know? And his response, because it's good to be friendly, Don. I'll tell you what, when I was like six or seven, I wasn't so sure about that. Well, I spent many Friday nights at my grandparents' house. And my grandpa and I would stay up late to watch television while my grandma went to bed. And he would scoop me up and him a bowl of ice cream. And he had this special homemade chocolate sauce that was amazing. And he'd drizzle it all over our ice cream. And then we would each claim a bean bag. They had, this is the 1970s. They had an olive green one and a burnt orange one. And we'd each sit in our bean bag, eating our ice cream sundae, watching the Rockford Files, which was his favorite show. Well, my grandfather was a drummer and he played with some really like some pretty big names back, especially coming out of like the big band era. And he always kept his drums set up in the back bedroom and he'd go back and oftentimes he would disappear to go practice. And when he would do that, my brother and I would follow him into the room. And as he would begin to play, we would climb up on the bed and we would jump and dance to the beat. We would be having so much fun. Until my grandma came storming in. My grandma was a strong woman. And she had the stereotypical German sternness and Irish temper. Now, now don't get me wrong. I loved her dearly. But you did not mess with grandma. And she did not put up with jumping on the bed. So as soon as that bedroom door flew open. And we saw her standing there. all, All of us froze. Caught in the act of horsing around as she called it. My brother and I quickly sat down on the bed. And. She would make it clear that our behavior was not acceptable. My grandpa got an earful as she scolded him him, uh, for allowing us to be so out of control. Then after she left, she closed the door behind her. And my grandpa would once again begin to practice his drums. 
And slowly, he'd raise his head to look at us. Slowly, he'd begin to grin and nod his head up and down. And that was our sign. Hey, you can resume dancing and jumping on the bed. He was the coolest grandpa in the world. So one day, when I was about six years old, I went out into the backyard to see what he was doing. And he had the lawnmower out, and he was preparing to cut the grass. So I asked him, Grandpa, can I help you? And he graciously gave his approval. He had me stand in front of him and place my hands on the, up on the handle, which was above my head. He positioned each of his hands outside of mine, and together we moved forward mowing the grass. Now, in reality, I was probably more in the way, as I'm sure he could have mowed the grass much quicker without me, but he did not mind. In fact, we walked at my pace. Now, the size of the task we'd undertaken, it didn't even concern me because reality is, I mean, this is a backyard and I'm six, right? But I didn't even think about how big the job was. That wasn't a concern. All I cared about was being with my grandpa. Now, as a joke, he let go of the lawnmower at one point. And not only could I not move it forward, the vibration of the machine caused my little body to shake from head to toe. And I was was not happy about this. I remember getting upset with him and quickly demanded he place his hands back on the lawnmower handles. And so he did. And so together we walked back and forth and we completed the job as a team. And when we were finished, he praised me for a job well done. In fact, when my parents came to pick me up, he gave me the credit for the job. He said, look, look what your daughter did. She mowed the grass. He gave me all the glory for it. It was this memory that I was reflecting on while I was mowing my own El Nino grass in my own house years later as an adult. And it was through this memory that God called me to a deeper walk with him. As I reflect on it, there's still elements of this that anchor my thoughts of what it looks like to follow Jesus. And I really feel it ties in so tightly to what does it actually mean to be a wayfarer. And here's what I mean. First of all, it's all about relationship, friends. It's all about relationship. Being a wayfarer is all about relationship. It's all about being in his presence. You see, when I was little with my grandpa, it didn't matter what my grandpa was doing. I just wanted to be with him. Nearness was more important than the activity. And it's the same thing with Jesus. It's not about what he calls us to. It's just about where is he? And what does it look like to just be joining him in the things that he is doing? What does it look like to draw close to his presence? Like even right now, as you're listening to this and you're thinking about the rest of your day, what is he doing around you? Maybe, you know, within your family life, within your work life, in your neighborhood, at the gym, at your school, what is Jesus doing? Just getting present to like, oh Lord, where are you today? What does it look like for me to draw close to you? Even if the details are mundane, because it's not about whether it's a glorious thing to be a part of or a mundane thing to be a part of. What matters is his presence. And second, I joined, I joined my grandfather in his work and he included me. He included me. He made space for me. He enjoyed, he even delighted in me. And so is also the case with Jesus. When we're like, hey, Jesus, what are you up to today? Can I join you? He will make space for us. He delights in our presence with him. Jesus is at work all around us. 
and there's room for us to join him. He has a space for you. He wants you to join him. So what's he doing? Maybe it's just noticing the people around you and showing them kindness and love. Actually seeing people. People long to be seen. They long to be heard. And maybe for today, God's calling you, Jesus is calling you to join him in actually seeing somebody, acknowledging someone, listening to somebody else's heart. Maybe it's choosing to be patient or to hold a door for a stranger or just other, some other kind of kindness. Whatever it is, we join him in his work. It's not about, hey, I'm going to go do something and I'm doing this for the Lord. No, Lord, what are you already doing? And let me join you in what you're already doing. Third thing is this, is that the size of the task, like when I was little, the size of the task of mowing the grass, it didn't daunt me. Because why? Because my, because my grandfather was the power behind me. He was the power through me. I didn't have to be afraid of the size of the task because it was never about my strength to begin with. You know, the same thing happens with the Lord. When he allows us and even invites us into this work with him, if we, if we step back and look, we could get a little overwhelmed by the size of what he's called us to. But the reality is, is he doesn't expect us to do it in our own strength and we can't do it in our own strength. We are simply conduits of his grace working through us. He calls us into this dynamic relationship with him where but him by the power of his spirit works through us and amazing things happen. And we know it's not based on our strength or our knowledge or, or our power or anything like that. It's all about him. We're conduits of that. So we don't have to be daunted or afraid of the size of the task. Instead, we can just, just lean in close to him. He invites us and he wants to work in and through us. So we want to trust him and just stay close because he's the power that's going to work through us. And then fourth, my grandpa shared his, shared the glory. He praised me. What did I actually do? All I did was walk with him, but he's told my parents, look what Dawn did. You know what? When you're a wayfarer and you're just, you just joining Jesus in his job and his work, you're, you're working alongside of him. And then like the task is completed. He shares his glory. He gives you credit. He's like, Hey, well done. Good and faithful servant. And you're like, well, Lord, what did I actually do? Well, what you did is you showed up and you let the power, the Holy Spirit, power of the Holy Spirit work in you and work through you. You just stayed in his presence and you did what he asked you to do. You walked in obedience. You know, when I was there at my grandparents' house, I could have stayed inside watching Saturday morning cartoons, but instead I chose to press into the relationship. And you know what? Today as an adult, I could choose to stay home and be distracted with all the cares and concerns of this world, scrolling social media, numbing out. But you know what? That's not the life of a wayfarer. No, a wayfarer gets up in the morning and the wayfarer is like, Lord, what are you doing today? Can I come with you? Can I join you? Can I be your shadow? My friends, there's so much to distract us from his call. Don't let those things distract you. If you find yourself distracted, call your attention back towards him. Being a wayfarer is all about presence. Wherever he leads, he is the one who knows the way. He is the way. Wherever he leads, that's where we want to be. We want to be hard on his heels, his shadow. Jesus, what are you doing today? Can I come with you? And he invites us into this great adventure of life. And what an adventure it is. And sometimes the adventure is mundane things. And that's all right because I don't, 
feel we fully understand the power of being faithful even in the mundane areas of our life. Someday I think God will make that known to us. Sometimes he'll surprise us with things we didn't see coming. But reality is, regardless of whether or not it's mundane or pretty amazing, what we're after is his presence. We're after his presence. That means more to us than anything. That's what a wayfarer is. Jesus, what are you doing today? What does it look like for me to follow you today? In fact, that's your coaching question even as we close out this episode. What does it look like to follow Jesus today? How can you lean into his presence? Think on that here, and we'll see you next week. Thank you for joining me today on This Wayfaring Life. If you'd like more information on coaching with me, head over to thiswayfaringlife.net, where I offer growth coaching for life, leadership, and spiritual formation. See you next time.